Time to barrel down as we uncork the Indiana beverage industry one bottle at a time. So excited to debut our very first brewery, not new to Indiana, but new to the Pop Swirl podcast. And today I am joined by Clay and Dave of Sun, Ki- Sun King, not Sun Kiss Brewery. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, morning, Katie. How you doing? Well, this weather is cold, so I must be thinking of warm sunshine when I said sun-kissed, but um, beer and wine makes you warm. So why don't you give an overview of who Sun King is, or maybe who you guys are, and um, welcome our listeners. Who are you? Oh, uh, (laughs) my name is Clay Robinson, and I am one of the co-founders of Sun King Brewing Company, uh, headquartered here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and my friend uh, Dave here. Hi, you can't see me, but I'm waving. Just a friend. (laughs) Uh, Dave Colt. Oh, oh, I'm going to keep going. That's all right. Yeah, Yeah, I was, but hey, Dave Colt, co-founder of Sun King. Uh, Dave and I have been friends for many decades since the late 1900s. Uh, maybe 1997 or so more specifically and um, over years of being professional brewers and friends eventually worked together in 2005 and started talking about what we would do if we could open our own brewery and saw a hole in the marketplace here in Indiana and that there was no local brewery that was really looking for distribution into bars and restaurants and uh, at the time, cans weren't a very popular option, but we had our hearts set on becoming a canning brewery because that was cans were starting to change the world of beer. So in on July 1st of 2009, we made our dreams come true and opened up Sun King Brewing Company. And here we are 12 and a half years later, still doing it. That That's sounds a, about right. Yeah. I mean, so in 12 years, my big question in, so I... We're going to skip forward way, way, way forward. But. We can we can jump around back okay. and forth. We don't have right. to be completely non sequitur is easy for us. I'm horrible at doing puzzles because I'll start in a corner and then I go to the opposite corner and then I just never finish puzzles because my brain just can't focus on that. But so COVID changed everything, right? That That's pretty obvious. But before COVID, I mean, the, the brewery industry by itself was moving and changing so fast. Um, I think if you've gone to any bar in Indiana, um, you've heard of Sun King Brewery. You know, you guys are not new and that's no surprise. So how in the world do you keep up with the changing times? Or I mean, do you or or how do you? My marketing brain would have to live in a room full of dry erase boards to write down what the heck is happening. And on when we talk about product development, I mean, you can't just make a beer overnight and sell it tomorrow. So how do you, how the heck do you do it? Well, that's a big question and a lot to unpack because you threw COVID in there too. Um, So I would say that we're constantly living three to six months into the future at all times. You know, when you were talking about supply chain issues and making sure that we have the things that we need, also looking at what worked well from the previous year, what changes are we going to make to our, um, release calendar and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so we, I mean, we, we also, we have a small batch brewery, so we have six locations around Indiana. One of them is a small batch brewery. Actually, Kokomo is also a small batch brewery that we added uh, in 2020. But so we have kind of R&D facilities that give us the ability uh, to make smaller volumes of beers that we then serve in our tap rooms. So, you know, one of the beautiful parts about the beer industry and our world is that our tap rooms allow us access to consumers who already love Sun King and are coming to visit because they either love beer, love Sun King, combination of the two. And then we have an opportunity to try new things. So those new things are born out of conversations, ideas, traveling when you travel, when we traveled more and seeing what was happening in other parts of the country and like, oh, well, that's a really unique take on this. Maybe that's something that we could do. And how could we make our own unique take? on it. So I love that. One of my favorite things, I mean, you brought up travel. So, um, is those after work, if you will, conversations, um, trying new places, because I think you get people that are in the industry that enjoy that new sense of scenery. Um, even outside of Indiana, it's so good to see something different and taste something different because that's what really influences us to, to change just a little bit, to try something new. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, and so, I mean, thinking 20 years ago, 12 and a half years ago, 20 years ago, you know, the, the Indiana, we'll call it the craft industry as a whole, beer, spirits, and wine was very, very small. Um, mm-hmm. And Indiana has what, 250 plus breweries now? Sure. Yeah. Lost track a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So 120 you know, wineries, 250 breweries. And the growth in the past 20 years has just been crazy. Where do you think that's going in the future? I mean, are we slowing down? Is beer slowing down? Because we've got, what, four generations that are drinking alcohol right now? I mean, that that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Is beer slowing down? Um, you know, I mean, beer is taking some hits here and there. Uh, hard seltzer, uh, chief among them. Uh, RTDs, you know, part of the mix, mm-hmm. ready to drinks. Um, but beer is always here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Just what is happening in the scene will kind of fluctuate and vary. So that's where innovation and creativity bring drinkers back to that segment and collaborations and all that kind of stuff. So it's so it's the stuff that we love to do and are keenly interested in. So yes, beer is here to stay. I think more to your point, and maybe you're asking. How many more breweries can Indiana sustain at this pace? Um, I remember way, way back when I was a much, a much younger version of me at my first craft brewers conference. And uh, somebody who was an old salt in the industry said, there's always room for good beer. Ooh, I love so there is. Now, what your desire is, as far as how big, how many barrels you want to do, you know, that may be a bit more difficult these days. It used to be that, uh, you know, you could get on a grocery store shelf or in package stores relatively easily, but it's a very crowded space now. So, you know, being strategic on how, how big you want to be and how fast that's really, that's probably the big question. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, a lot of when you look at breweries actually throughout the country and Indiana is no different, um, you know, a large percentage of your breweries, something like 98% of all breweries make less than like, like make less than 5,000 barrels of beer, maybe 95, but 98%, the majority of those make 
um, you know, a thousand or less barrels of beer. So, you know, breweries can be very broad ranging. Uh, a large portion of the breweries in Indiana make somewhere between five and 1500 barrels. Um, you know, for Indiana's sake, we we seem large because we have a lot of locations, but we make about 30 to 35,000 barrels worth of beer. We're the second largest brewery in the state. Three Floyds in Munster, uh, they make almost 100,000 barrels of beer. Um, so, you know, and then you go outside of that and the bigger breweries in the country make, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of barrels worth of beer. But the majority of breweries are relatively small breweries, whether they're local or just regional. So a lot of these breweries and where there's always room for good beers. I think that there's a lot of people like us that maybe grew up somewhere in the region or in, uh, you know, South Central Indiana, and they came back because of family or, you know, they, they had experiences in the world and they love beer and brewing. And, you know, there's been a lot of people over the past decade that have been inspired to follow their dreams and open breweries. And that may be a tiny brew pub. You can have a brewery that just has a tasting room and sells beer to go directly to consumers. So the model of brewery has so many different ways in which you can do it. Um, so, you know, I mean, honestly, when we set out in 2009 to open our brewery and become Sun King, the thing that we do and, and are today was not even in our minds. We, I don't even think that we could have conceived it at that point. <laughs> but that's what makes it fun. I mean, it, it's fun to, um, when I, I mean, talking to industry folks all the time, you know, we talk about growing pains, um, that maybe some people would look at that as negative for us, but for us, it's, it's great to have those growing pains because you're exceeding the expectation and you're going across your goal line. Um, so maybe scary because we don't know what's ahead, but I mean, I like growing pains. We, we like to call them problem tunities. Ooh, I love yeah. that word. I love uh -huh. uh, different words, so I'm going to use that. Yeah, you're welcome to it. I mean, it's definitely, it's one of those things like people, especially when you're talking amongst industry folks or other folk, business people, you're like, how's it going? Like, it's going great, but, you know, we're dealing with this supply challenge or that supply challenge, particularly these days, or, you know, we're experiencing growth in this area. Um, so we have to invest in these this, this equipment or these technologies. So you're kind of looking at all of these different things and, you know, it, it breweries, wineries, distilleries, we're manufacturers and manufacturing is a capital intensive industry. So, you know, as you grow, you have to understand your growth, start to get a handle on where you're going and you got to, if you've got a new piece of equipment that costs a half a million dollars, you got to figure out how you're going to pay for it, but more importantly, how you're going to use it and how it's going to help you grow. So there's so much to it that I don't think we never even really thought of when we started. I mean, we started Sun King with about a half a million dollars um, and we ran out of money right as we got open. And then, you know, now, you know, the, the machine that puts our beer in cans was a half a million dollars and we've got various different pieces of equipment around and keep adding stainless steel. And so every year, We've invested more than it took to open the business just to be able to keep up with demand for beer, allow us to grow. And then along with that comes hiring people, which comes a whole nother complexity um, to a business. So, um, but again, those are all exciting and fun things. And again, they're often problem opportunities, but they're opportunities that, uh, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Absolutely. So I, I want to break down some math really quick um, for our listeners. So how many barrels are in a keg of beer? Half. Half. 
So one, one half is half, one half a of a barrel. Yeah. So, so how many barrel, gallons are in a barrel as well? So in a beer barrel, it's 31 gallons. So yeah. your, your standard keg is 15.5 gallons or half barrel. Yeah. Correct. And then the little smaller, tall ones that are called six barrels are 5.13 gallons. So uh, how many gallons are in a wine barrel? 60? Well, I mean, that depends a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it's close to that. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not good Maybe at math. You brought up math. I know, <laughs> I, but I'm not good at math. So when people start throwing oh, out- Neither are we. I was going to see if you wanted oh, us okay, to get oh, 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 oh. oh, so could answer these math Then questions. I'm out of there. Um, you uh, know, I think it's just good to put some type of a number to, yeah. you know, to what we're talking about. Yeah. So this year we'll produce 35,000 barrels worth of beer. 98% of it will be sold in Indiana and 35,000 barrels of beer is 70,000 kegs um, or 1,085,000 gallons of beer. There comes the calculator. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you couldn't see Dave typing, but we did not do that math in our heads. Yeah, no, Ugh. no, no sane um, non-math person, I don't think could, right? But that's not right. normal. No. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. So um, where did the name Sun King come from? I've always wondered that. Was it a dream? Well, how, much, how much swearing are we allowed to have? Oh, it's a, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I'm I need your personality. So whatever that is. Okay. Right. <clears throat> um, so we, we actually thought about kind of the ethos of what Sun King would want to be and uh, all that kind of good stuff. And then we finally got to a point where we're getting ready to incorporate. So we had to have a name. We spent a lot of time um, anno not annoying each other, but seeing who could come up with the most uh, lame pedestrian hey. thing possible. Uh -huh. And then also borrowing some names from the wine industry like you had turning leaf so then we're like jumping jumping uh leaping labrador or other you know other silly things like that um but then we got down to the crux of the question why what what is in a name and why would we name it what we're going to do so we went back to our whole thought of why we wanted to jailbreak the pub brewer mentality and allow those seasonals to be created and available at anybody at any restaurant so bar restaurant mm -hmm. so we just kind of said seasonality that's really key to what we have going on here so what creates why why do the seasons exist that's our proximity to the sun so the sun is king of our solar system and i'm saying this out loud exactly as i just mm -hmm. said it and I go, hey, Sun King, that's a great name. I like it. And I said, I hate it. It's a great name for a brewery if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, Southern California, or Denver, Colorado, where the sun shines all the time. Right. Um, Not like it was like a gray March morning. So this guy drugged me to the window by my sweatshirt and pointed through a series of uh, gray late winter clouds to some sunshine peeking through and said, well, what's that? Um, I said, well, it's the sun, Dave. <laughs> and he said, the sun shines on all of us, even us lowly Hoosiers. And I believe I said, F you, you're an a-hole um, with the actual words. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so then, yeah, the story goes on slightly more and I apologize. It goes on just a tick more. So 
Clay calls his sister, Ramona. Oh, yeah. My sister runs a PR company in Denver. And I said, what do you think about Sun King? And we've been looking at other names. Some of them were more akin to like where the brewery would be. Uh, you know, obviously there had been an Indianapolis brewing company and before. But, you know, I said, hey, what do you think of Sun King? And she said, I really like it. And I said, well, you know, I said, yeah, but here's my feelings. And she said, well, I, I appreciate that. But really, like what you're doing, I know you just want to sell beer in Indiana. But what if one day you're successful enough and you try to sell your beer in Chicago? If you named your beer the Indianapolis Brewing Company or the College Avenue Brewery, um, you know, no one, particularly if you named the Indianapolis Brewing Company, no one in Chicago cares about Indianapolis. So they're not even going to want to drink your beer. But if it's called Sun King and maybe one day you do sell beer in Denver, Colorado, Southern California, Florida, Arizona, somewhere else, then it takes away point in place and everyone loves the sun. Plus, if you name your brewery King um, out the gate, you sound like you kick ass. Um, so it's like those are all very good points. Most and all of that is wonderful. But really, the singular most important important piece is the IP had not been taken. That is true. Oh. Nice. We we had some we had some other names that were actually good. I think that's what led us to bad names for a while. But any of the good names, um, just as a creative exercise, any of the good names um, had been taken by breweries somewhere on the West Coast that had been you know decades ahead of us. And you're like, oh, it's a really great name. Oh, somebody in Idaho or Washington or Oregon. And so a lot of it had been done. And thanks to the internet, you could kind of look up those things. But yeah, no one had ever started a Sun King Brewing Company before. The web domains were available. And actually, when we conceived of it, um, there wasn't even a Twitter um, or an Instagram. So, but we could get the Facebook stuff. So we gradually, we added all that stuff together, came up with a logo, filed some trademarks and moved on down the road. My millennial heart loves that there was no Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a horrible millennial because I don't, I'm on like three social sites. I just can't keep up. I'm, I'm, I'm only three. Yeah. Twitter, like I haven't used that in 15 years. I don't even know how it works. So yeah. TikTok. I, I, I gave up the keys to our social media years ago to Beth, our promotions director. So she does a fantastic job of staying up to date and keeping the internet informed with what we're doing, because as we've grown, uh, you do a lot more of the, how do we run the business? How do we grow? How do we deal with these opportunities, these problems? How do we navigate this pandemic? How do we work to make sure that everyone who is here is happy and healthy and it feels fulfilled by their job? So, mm -hmm. yeah, I have students that work with me all the time and they'll tell me about new uh, dating apps or cool social sites. And I'm like, I'm just trying to edit this website. I mean, I, yeah. I, I uh -huh. woo, there's so much out there and so much out there in the beer industry that um, competitions are starting to come back. We kind of halted them for a year, both the wine and the beer industry due to COVID. Um, and you guys have won several awards. Can you kind of highlight maybe the importance of um, those competitions, but what they might mean to somebody new to the beer industry? I mean, what are they? How are they judged? Um, and what can a consumer take away from those medals or awards? So most of the competitions are sort of peer judged and you have, <clears throat> oh golly, you've got double blind judging. So you get a sample in a glass and you maybe have a number that's associated with it and maybe a brief description from the brewer on process if there's something unique or interesting. 
Um, and then you just kind of go through a flight uh, with fellow judges. Usually it's a group of two to three and you are, you know, scoring a beer on your own. Um, this is professional, not BJCP. I don't know how that works. That's a whole nother thing. Uh, so you, you kind of come to consensus on the flight if you're going to pass some beers on to a metal round. And so usually one or two will make it. You'll have a couple of different people working on different flights. So at the end, you'll have maybe, you know, four to six or so samples that then are judged again and a conversation and a collaboration between the judges on which ones they like the best and in which order. That's, he just did this on I Friday for the festival of barrel aged beers. So yes, it's a very good and fresh in his <laughs> mind uh, example. Very, very fresh. Yeah, uh, so, I, well, I was going to say when I'm in tasting rooms, you know, just out with friends, we, I overhear those conversations about, you know, what is that metal? What is that certificate mean? And I think for the millennial generation and maybe just those new to the alcohol industry, um, that is just a sign of, of peer judged quality. Wine competitions are run just very similar to that. Um, but it's also really great for that company to be able to broadcast that, you know, hard work and dedication went into that and it's a blind judging. I think that's the other large component of it is you don't know who or where that product came from when you're evaluating it. Yeah, there, there are a lot of different competitions. And I mean, some are run, they're run by different organizations. Some are, you know, maybe run by more marketing organizations or other things. The ones that we tend to focus on, like the Brewers Association of America, which is our uh, trade association nationwide. We do the great, they do the Great American Beer Festival. They've been doing that for almost 40 years and has grown from, you know, a handful of breweries 40 years ago to over uh, like 3,000 breweries enter up like 7,000 beers in a hundred different beer categories. So it is an absolutely enormous undertaking. Then they also hold the World Beer Cup, which is like the Great American Beer Festival, but they open it up to brewers worldwide. So you end up with closer to 3,000 breweries and 8,000 beers. So those are the two the world's two largest competitions. We've been fortunate that between those two competitions over the last 12 years, we've won 30 plus medals between the two of those competitions. And then, um, you know, Festival of Barrel Aged Beers is the, is kind of the preeminent festival that is specifically for beers that hit spirit barrels, wine barrels, any kind of wood, wood. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's a couple other like the U.S. Beer Open that we participate in, but we try to focus on North American Beer yeah, Awards, yeah, North American Beer Awards. And yeah, so there, but we kind of focus on the ones that are definitely peer reviewed that have actual brewers and industry experts. And yeah, it's it's a huge honor to win those awards and to because, I mean, you're putting your beers in blind and you're putting them in and it's fun for us because you're putting them in and you know that your friends at this brewery and that brewery maybe have a beer in the same category. And, you know, there's a I don't know that someone called brewing a coopetition at some point in time. I'm, <laughs> I'm continuing to mince words here, but like we all do the same thing and we love what we do. So when it gets to competitions, there's sometimes when you don't win, but somebody who's a really good friend of yours wins for that same thing. And it's like, yes, great work. So, you know, there, there's a really it's everybody loves winning. winning. Winning is great. But I would say the most important part of the competition um, you know, the validation is wonderful, but from a sales and marketing perspective, and especially if you're an unknown brewery 
or small just starting out, having some awards behind you uh, are a great way to say, hey, we're, we're doing things right here. Yeah. You can trust, you know, it starts to build some inherent trust in the brand itself. It goes a lot farther than my mom thinks we brew great beer. <laughs> uh, she does. She really does. Yeah. Well, and you guys also have spirits as part of your lineup as well. It's not just beer. Yeah. Um, are, is that, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Rum. I'm looking at a rum bottle for our listeners. Um, that looks still. Yeah, you guys can't see that. I know. It's afternoon. Maybe it's um, time for a cocktail. But what, what gave you the idea to add spirits? Or when did you add spirits? Well, before we even had a name for Sun King, and um, Clay and I founded, co-founded Sun King, but we quickly realized that we knew a lot about the process and how to make tasty things through fermentation. But what we didn't know was necessarily how to run day-to-day business operations. What do you do with the money once you sell a keg? And so Mm -hmm. we brought uh, Clay's father in to help mentor us and then brought him on, uh, you know, full-time as our president, well, past president now and CEO. So, you know, just chatting with uh, Omar and Clay, we're just kind of kibitzing about, And I said, you know, if we figure out this brewery thing, we might be able to have a distillery. And uh, Clay's dad goes, what the heck do we know about? And he didn't use that word. uh, (laughs) What the heck do we know about making spirits? And I said, well, every spirit on the planet is, comes from distillation. You have to create the alcohol somehow, and then you, you know, intensify it or distill it. So I said, we know a damn good bit about making, you know, fermenting things. And if toothless uh, people in Appalachia can make good shine out of corn, I think we stand a good chance of making spirits. Yeah. So Omar, Omar, we pulled him out of retirement at 70 to be the business mind behind Sun King and give us a crash course in entrepreneurship. Um, when we were planning Sun King, he and my mom were traveling uh, in a motorhome throughout most of the year. And they had been in Washington and Oregon and were calling me all the time saying, oh, my God, we're at this place and you wouldn't believe what's going on here. Or now we're here and this place has a farm and they're doing this. And, you know, we're in Portland and there's all these breweries. And like, that's exactly like the stuff that you're seeing is the future of craft beer. It's what hasn't hit Indiana. So this is back in like 2006, seven era. And, uh, you know, like, this is what, this is what beer can be, but Omar was a spirits guy. So that idea of, Hey, if we're successful as a brewery, we might be able to, uh, one day open a distillery kind of never left the back of his head. And then, um, so when we opened in 2009, the state law for a brewery was that you could produce 20,000 barrels of beer a year um, and be considered a a craft brewery or small brewery, small brewers permit. Um, Well, as we grew, 2009 was our first year. We were open for six months. Our five-year goal was 5,000 barrels uh, in our fifth year. And 2009, we made 500 barrels. And by July 1st, 2010, our first anniversary, we had added a cans to our lineup, which were actually in the business plan for like year two or three. But we'd seen a lot of interest in our beer and realized that if we had a package product, we could get our beer into places that didn't have draft um, and into package stores and other places. So we accelerated that plan and started getting cans of beer out there. And by our first anniversary, we were selling a beer at the rate of 5,000 barrels. Um, so for our first full year in business, we accomplished our five-year goal of 5,000 barrels. And we're like, 
oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it led to those problemtunities where like, how do you grow a business that you were going to grow in five years in a year? So we went from 5,000 barrels to 10,000 barrels to 15,000 barrels and uh, we're continuing to grow. And at that point, um, we're friends with uh, Nick Floyd and the folks up at Three Floyds. And I ran into him at a craft brewers event and was asked talking about what kind of barrelage they were going to do. And he said that he thought they were going to break the 20,000 barrel mark. And uh, I said, you realize if you break the 20,000 barrel mark, you violate your brewer's license and you will cease to be able to operate your business as you do. And he's like, oh, well, what do we do about that? And I was like, well, I am involved on the Brewers Guild board, and I think that we probably have to create some lobbying efforts and work towards it. So we got Omar together with Nick to start talking about and changing that law. They both became lobbyists and everyone told us we couldn't change a law in a year. But we basically, as business people, Nick and Omar went to the legislature um, and uh went and just started meeting people and saying, hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. We run these local businesses. And there's this law that was created 20 years ago that says we can't go past this certain point or our business ceases to function in the way that it does. And we really need the ability to grow. And uh, so we basically told our story to the legislature <clears throat> and, uh, and, and they're, Indiana is a very pro-business environment. And they were like, well, that makes a lot of sense. So they bumped the, 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 uh, the barrelage limit up to 30,000 barrels. And we were victorious in our first ever state law change back in like 2011, 2011-12 uh, era. And uh, through that, Nick and Omar discovered that they both had a love for spirits and that Nick had wanted to distill. And in looking at that at the time, there was only a one small distilling permit. It was for farm wineries. And if you were a farm winery, you could also distill. Um, and we're like, well, how come wineries could distill, but breweries can't distill? And maybe we should look at trying to figure out how to change that law. And then Omar and Nick met Ted Huber um, at Huber Wineries and Starlight Distillery. And Ted wanted could only with the winery life farm winery license could only distill from fruit and wanted to be able to distill from grain. So Sun King, Three Floyds and Huber Winery all got together and said, hey, why don't we work together as a breweries and or breweries in a winery and start to work on the legislature to create an artisan's distillers bill that would allow not just Huber to distill from grain, but us to distill from fruits or grains and own a brewery and a distillery and then create some a, a, a license class that would hopefully allow for the creation of more artisan distilleries throughout the state of Indiana, which is a very pro-business move. And after a couple of legislative sessions of conversations and working on that, lo and behold, I think in 2015, the artisan distillers bill was passed and the ability for a brewery, winery, or any individual to open their own small artisan distillery was born in Indiana. I think that's so great because that's Hoosier hospitality at its finest. Um, but we're all so connected. I mean, this is a huge industry. We have, you know, thousands of employees, but we are really all so very close knit. I mean, beer, wine, spirits, even to the end consumer. I mean, we have those people who are loyal to the brim, to your product and your neighbor's product, um, to wines, to spirits. And, and we're just one big old happy family, as I like to say, because I really feel like we are. Um, 
It is. And I mean, the, the Hoosier hospitality thing, we, we joke about it a lot, but it is a real thing. And that's one of the things that, you know, lends to that question of how many breweries can there be? How many wineries can they be? How many distilleries can be there? A lot of different sizes. And I think people over the last decade have become more interested in knowing where the things that they consume come from. And while, you know, the majority of the world buys a lot of their everyday goods from giant mega stores online or elsewhere, when it comes to, to products that you really love and have that connection with, people get really into. And I think we're really lucky that people are so intensely value that connection and want to seek out local producers and be a part of a movement that allows people like ourselves to create a living and, and follow our dreams and create a livelihood for the literally thousands of people and the millions of dollars worth of economic impact that help grow Indiana's agritourism business and really help keep the wheels going and growing. That's right. And it's all about the experience um, that you have in the tasting room and back in the production facility. It's about those relationships that you meet and you foster. And before I let you guys go, um, the experience around the holidays is, I believe, one of my, well, I love Christmas. So let me just put that out there. But I think the experience that you get in the tasting room, any tasting room around the holidays is really unique because we turn the page from just buying a bottle or a can or a keg to take home, to sharing it, to opening it with friends and family that maybe we only see once a year or once every couple of years. So I, um, I have my favorite wines, but I also think seasonal wines and seasonal brews are fun because they come out once a year, they come out twice a year. So what are, um, are there any seasonal brews that you have on your list or, um, brews around you or if somebody just wants to take a beer home for the holiday what's something that people should put um, in their shopping cart or in the back of their car to take home <laughs> well we have a beer that uh just i think dropped last week yeah. and um electric reindeer so that was a collaboration that we started with Newfields several years ago so they came to us and asked if we would make a beer for holiday lights and we said yeah sure what what are you thinking they gave us a few notes and then uh you know we kind of internalized that and came back to them and said what if we make a beer a brown ale that's inspired by ginger uh, gingerbread yeah gingerbread so so yeah so it's a brown ale with ginger and molasses um it has a really nice like fall crisp kind of holiday feel to it just a skosh of nutmeg yeah little bit of sweetness to it. It's a really nice, well-rounded beer. It's not too spicy or, you know, one of the things we try to do here is to be very balanced in our use of various ingredients because we want the flavor of the beer and the flavor of anything we might infuse into a beer to, to come out together or to work really well together. So we try to be a little nuanced in that, but we made it for Newfields the first year and they only sold it at Newfields and people had it. We had it in our tap rooms and people were really excited by it. So the next year we're like, Hey, we want to make this for you again, but we actually want to make more and have it available through our tap rooms in a larger quantity for people to, to have. And we put, started putting it in some package through that. And then it got an even better response. And so last year was a bigger release and it even through go, 
COVID because people were buying a lot of beer, the whole shift of people from buying on premise in bars and restaurants to buying or buying off premise in bars and restaurants to or yeah, on off the get confused, but <laughs> for buying in bars and restaurants to buying in grocery stores. So it had a really great year through 2020 um, as people were really just staying home and celebrating. And so again, we bring it back out every year. So electric reindeer is a super fun beer. We always make a few other different beers as well. We've got a beer that's a tap room release uh, called Christmas Inc. Um, that goes out to different bars and restaurants as well on draft. And then a, a part of our barrel age program, the Sun King Brewery Kings Reserve series is a beer called Mucking Around the Christmas Tree. And that's a, uh, you know, holiday fruitcake inspired uh, Scottish wee heavy that's been aged in bourbon barrels. So just a few things for the holidays. Just a few. Couple things for people to keep it fresh. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining me. Um, episode five of the pop swirl. I'm super excited that we were able to sit down and talk about, um, all things, sun king problem tunities and holidays um christmas is just right around the corner right after thanksgiving of course so thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your afternoon with me and we'll see you in a tap room soon great thanks thanks, thanks.